This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah in the old city of Jerusalem. <laughs> Overlooking the Temple Mount today, we're discussing, we're continually discussing altered states of consciousness. And, um, and what we had spoken about just to catch up on yesterday is that every human, every human culture has a shift in consciousness that they actually seek. And this is whether it's tobacco, whether it's alcohol, whether it's caffeine, whether it's uh, sports, whether it's uh, uh, meditation, whether it's uh, uh, ecstatic prayer, if it's um, uh, children on swings or spinning around or, or sugar or chocolate and all these things. Like we seek altered states of consciousness. We like that. And a couple questions have come up. Uh, one of those questions is, what does Judaism say about it? Because we didn't do any of that yesterday. We didn't talk about Judaism's take on that. Um, that's one of the questions, is uh, what does Judaism say about it? Um, we, also, um, we also have the question of... Um, of oh, man, there was another important question on it. Yeah. I mean, the part of the how does the fear of losing control play into it? I, the healthy way I didn't understand. Um, okay. I know the fear of losing control. Yeah, I mean, I mean, danger because if everybody uh, seeks to alter, um, that you have this of. Um, if everyone know, seeks altered states of consciousness. What about um, the spectrum of? Um, not wanting to lose any control. How does uh-huh. it fit there? Okay, so losing control, that's a issue. Um, you wanted to know, who asked, was that Lucian? Asked about grounding, uh, being grounded enough. Grounded enough to go higher. Uh, you can get much higher in altered states of consciousness if you're grounded. People who are not very grounded have will they will sabotage their their ascension because they, they get scared because they, they don't have anything holding them down. So when you're anchored, you can go like like a, walking outside a space shuttle. As long as you're tethered to the space shuttle, you're chill. If that thing gets cut off and you're just spinning around in outer space, a hundred yards from your space shuttle, you start getting nervous. And you're not going to want to go that direction. You're only going to want to go back. So, so, but as long as you're tethered, you might go quite far from the space station. Yeah. Also, Rob, um, how many of the altered states of consciousness actually um, are realms of existence, like are actual realms in which exist, and not just imaginary? Uh-huh, right. That's an important discussion too. Is it, is how much is just imagination versus real? Ima- imagined versus real. Okay, excellent. Any other questions on altered states of consciousness? Yeah. What's like the most pure and deepest way to transcend? Like, transcend like consciousness? Yeah, like, uh-huh. Like, What's the most <laughs> kosher? <laughs> oh, that wasn't your question. What was your question? No, yeah, yeah, that's my question. What was the most kosher way? Yeah, the most co- like the purest, deepest way. Oh, sorry. I read the most kosher. What's the most pure way? 
What's the most deep way? What's the most kosher way? Okay. Any other questions? Yeah. So what's the difference between um, um, altered state of um, <coughs> your mind in a good way and the bad way? Because it seems like it's the right. same, but how do you make a difference? Um, pitfalls of uh, bad ways. Okay, good. I think we got plenty to cover here. <laughs> um, just if you can put the fan, you know how to deal with the fan there? It's the bottom right corner of the AC system. Just put it, there's a little teeny hidden button there. Yeah, right? Where your finger is. Put it on, just press it once. Excellent. Did it go down? Should go to one. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so what does Judaism say about all this? Now, um, Judaism is obviously pro-kiddish wine. It's pro-alcohol. And um, it's also pro-music for altered states of cons- consciousness. And it's also pro-dancing um, for altered states of consciousness. And also pro-singing for altered states. And it's also pro-meditation, obviously, because we've you know, we got a lot of meditation. We have three mandatory meditations a day. So, like, we're clearly pro-altered states of consciousness through meditation. These are all pro. Um, what you will notice, though, for Jews, which is interesting, is there's, uh, the, there's some things that are very popular today that are strikingly uh, lacking in Judaism. One of those is marijuana as, an alter, as a tool for an altered state of consciousness. That seems to be missing from, uh, from the Jewish tradition. And uh, although there are, um, there are some references, but they're very, very few, and it would have been more, given how central it is today in society, it should have had a more central uh, position in Judaism. Um, obviously, it's kosher, but the question is, is, is it a means for a Jewish person spiritually? That's another question. So, the, um, the, um, so basically, I, I mentioned most of the altered states. Uh, smells, obviously, are, are also fine, using aroma Aromas is to alter the state of consciousness is also fine. I don't know if you're supposed to put anything up your nose per se, but but uh, but certainly aromas, as we know, the spices in the temple were for that. You know, they also had that that uh, altered state of consciousness that they were causing in the in the process. And there, uh, the cannabis that's mentioned is only oil, cannabis oil, not necessarily THC. It was used for anointing the vessels in the temple and, and anointing the Levites and the Kohanim. When you anointed something for service, for divine service, there was cannabis in the oil. It's part of the mixture. Kene boisum. It's called kene boisum. But that's not being used for any uh, psychoactive aspect. Okay. Um, now, here, here's the... Uh, let's go down the list. So, what Judaism says about it is uh, that's the pro stuff. Um, the question is, why is it missing from Judaism for the most part? And the answer is prophecy. The reason why Judaism doesn't have a tradition of these more intense altered states of consciousness that are available um, through various uh, create parts of creation, whether it's vegetation or other, is because we, are, we had prophecy. Prophecy was... It was is a really, really high realm. And prophecy makes LSD look like vitamin C. Okay. Prophecy is like a totally different dimension than any altered state of consciousness. It's really, really, really out there. 
so out there that none of us would come back the same. You know, there's a lot of things out there that you could try that would be super intense, it would blow you away, you'd be transformed forever. But you would at least still put your toothbrush on your teeth and not on your forehead that night. You know, it's going to hit your teeth. Um, but the uh, but prophecy, it's gonna, you're going to be brushing your forehead if you're not ready for prophecy. Prophecy, you had to develop. And there were a lot of levels under prophecy, too, that are also way beyond the realm of other alt, uh, substances that bring altered states. Meaning, if we put it on a chart, here we get, let's say we have prophecy. Under prophecy, you know, way under prophecy, you'll have levels like, uh, here it's called Ruach HaKodesh, or divine inspiration. And that's where you're, you are, you know, totally clairvoyant, divine inspiration, like Rashi had, Ruach HaKodesh. And on down the list, down the list, down the list, are other levels. And guess what's halfway up all this? In the halfway zone of all of this, is what's called ego death, otherwise known as uh, enlightenment. When I say enlightenment, it has nothing to do with the enlightenment movement. It's the word, the translation of the word Buddha, which means the enlightened one. And that means that you've lost all selfish interests. Your eye is recognized as God's eye, as well as the eye inside of him. So, so your personal eye is the eye of, you know, what Hashem says is, Ani Hashem. You know, I am. You know, that's what God is, ultimately, is pure state of consciousness. And when you reach that level of pure state of consciousness and can lock it in, meaning all of us might reach it once in a while, but to lock it in for your life, like that, that's, where you, that's just where you generate from. You're generating from the big eye, meaning his eye, is where you generate from, which is called soul. Your soul is the eye. And if you generate from pure soul and you've lost all sense of selfish interest, so then you're here. <laughs> and this, this is not, meaning all these altered states of consciousness that we're discussing here with all these different substances, I mean, they may give you a glimpse of that, but you're coming right back down, and maybe not to, maybe not to the bottom again, but, you know, let's put the earth here. Um, here, we'll put a tree. Uh, probably bad time of year for that. So, anyway, they, um, the, you know, you may not be coming down quite to earth. Maybe you're going to wind up here afterwards. And you may have gotten a bit of a glimpse of that, but even that's questionable, meaning a... You know, let's see you on some altered state of consciousness and someone just comes right up, takes your smartphone and says, well, you won't be needing this anymore, will you? And they put it in their pocket and start walking away. You're going to let them walk away in your altered state of consciousness? I don't think so. I don't think you're quite there, even on the, the highest moment of your altered state of consciousness. So anyway, but enlightenment is... Is a, it's not, it doesn't have to do with altered states, but it is necessary. Why did I put it on the board? It's necessary in order to what? What do you think? In order to? Get perspective. No, in order to achieve anything higher. Meaning all the other half is only achievable once you've lost self-interest. Is that clear? And so, and so we're, I mean, this is a serious states here. These are serious states of consciousness. Is it still possible these days to get there? Yeah, it is. I don't know how possible it is to get up to there, but certainly above there, yeah, that's still available. If you don't mind dedicating the rest of your life to it, I think you might. You might achieve it. Yeah. What are the steps? 
<laughs> Where the steps? <laughs> well, let's let's see if we can get to the first step. You know what the first step is down here? The very first step. The very first step is is called service, meaning uh, evid, which is amazing. We're discussing this right now because this is where the Jews go into slavery are in the Book of Exodus. Now we just started it this week. The Book of Exodus. We all go into slavery. Well, isn't that interesting that a that a group of prophets, like an actual nation of prophets, is going to start their national their nationhood? Because there hasn't been a nation of Israel in the Torah. There has been a family of Abraham, a family of Isaac, a family of Jacob. That family went down to Egypt because of a famine. But then they go national. This week's partial, the very first lines talk about the Jews like multiplying, like big time. And, and all of a sudden they're a nation that Pharaoh doesn't know how to deal with, so he puts them in slavery. Now, that servitude is the prerequisite to climb the ladder. Now, I don't know how many of you are in servitude yet, if you've reached the level, because probably most of you are still fair-weathered servants. When things are going your way, you serve. When things aren't going your way, you stop serving. But a servant, a true servant, doesn't say to his boss when his, when his, his master tells him to please run these buckets of water to the roof so I can have a shower and heat them up while you're up there. When he says that to you, you don't as a servant say, well, listen, listen, master, I'm not feeling it. I'm just not feeling it. Would you say that to your master? Anyone saying that to their master? No, you don't say that to your master. It means I'm in no matter what. I'm in, you want to drag me across the coals? I'm in. You want to give me, you know, you want to, you want to cook me a nice burger on the coals? I'm in. You know, you want, my beer came out warm? I'm in. Meaning, no matter what goes wrong or right in your life, you are now you are no longer to, you're no longer a fair weathered servant of God. It doesn't matter what the weather is in your life; you're there. Meaning, meaning on your yo-yo ride of life, because we're all on the ups and downs. And no matter where you are on that yo-yo string, you never take your eyes off the finger that's got the knot tied on it. That's God. You know, when you do a yo-yo, even though the yo-yo's got this huge trajectory, your finger doesn't move much. You just move your arm a little bit. God doesn't have to move much to have all got seven billion yo-yos going up and down their strings. And but servant, the servant looks at the finger. The, the, the all the rest of the people serve only when they're up. And uh, and so so that's why the Jewish people started their service or started their career in altered state of conjure, which is otherwise known as devakis, to become one with God, which is the ultimate altered state, is to be one with God totally. I mean, that's really altered because God's an infinite being and for you to become one with an infinite being means you're way out there. And obviously the challenge in Judaism, unlike, uh, unlike Buddhism where you're supposed to be one with God, is that you now, now go have children. Now hold down a job. Now hire a lawyer to sign a contract. Now build a home. Now keep your fridge full. Now pay your bills. Now have anniversaries with someone who's hormonal. <laughs> like, can you be one with God while totally engaged in the physicality? And the answer is, for the vast majority of people, is 
No, <laughs> they can't do that. And that's why 85% of Jews are non-observant. They don't keep Judaism. And the 15% who do generally are not in the altered state of oneness with God. They're not in that state of consciousness. I mean, how many people that you're raised observant? Yeah? How many people you know in your community that are, you're doing, you're not being filmed? How many people you, would you say are in this altered state of consciousness with God, like walking around like that? There's no way to know, really. I mean, you can't really know. But I can. It would not be high. It wouldn't be high. And it might be actually surprising who they are, because part of getting up there is going humble mode that no one notices where you are. You're doing a lot of your stuff on the down low, the DL. You know, so it could be surprising who those people are. You know, never know. <laughs> there was one. There was one guy who, a rich guy in a community, hundred couple hundred years ago, who, who, uh, was so stingy that they buried him outside the cemetery. <laughs> they put him next to the cemetery, and he was actually buried outside. For he was a wealthy guy who was so stingy they put him outside the cemetery. And so he died, and then all of a sudden, like, bread stopped showing up to all these people's doors, and milk started stopped showing up by people's doors, and, and all of a sudden, the entire town, just like, all the poor people in the town were living off miracles for the last 30, 40 years off this guy, who they buried outside the cemetery, for being stingy. He was just on the down low, and he was doing everything on the DL, and, and, and you know what happened was the... Oh, actually, I think it was my great-great-great-grandfather. Wasn't the Tosfus Yom Tov? Isn't the Tosfus? Yeah, so the, the, my great-great-great-grandfather, when he passed away, before he passed away, he said, I want to be buried outside the cemetery right next to him. Put me next to him. And he was buried right next to him outside the cemetery. Yeah, I'm named after him from multiple generations ago. And so, so it could, it's very likely that the people who are, who are living this level of oneness with God are, are keeping it pretty quiet. It's a good idea. If you really care about that, care about walking with God, you don't want to say much. You know, uh, keep it keep it under wraps. But anyway, service. We got service point. Service point. Don't forget. Don't expect to get very far if you're still fair weathered in your service of God. Become that kind of soldier. Become that kind of servant that that serves the the master, no matter what. That's where you want to get to. And, and that's, uh, that's a good place to be. It's also really good, by the way, for marriage because it makes you a bit of a rock to rely on. And it's really good for parenting because what a great example, you know, for children who are going to go, they're going to be, they're, you know, they're, they're yo-yos too, children. They're also going up and down. And to see that mommy or daddy are, are in, that's the word in, like I'm in, there, that's where the word amen comes from. Amen. Yeah, amen. So that when they see mommy and daddy are, are in, no matter what goes on, well, that you can't get a much better example than that. So, that's, so it's a really good thing for you. And, uh, and, and also in life, there's a lot of variables. Like it's nice to have something for sure. Like it's nice to have some givens. Especially in this day and age where there's a lot of variables and a lot of question marks on what's going to be and how things are going to go. And, and so it's good, at least at this age, to lock in servant of God. I'm a servant of God. Like, at least on the bottom line, I do what I'm told. You know, okay, achieving higher than that. 
that's going to be special to achieve higher than that. And I want to mention another thing is, you know, it'll be very easy to mention, I can draw it. What am I going to take from this whole scale? You know what I'm going to draw? What am I drawing? A ladder. A ladder. You know why it's called a ladder? Jacob's ladder. You know why it's called a ladder that leads all the way to heaven? You know why it's called a ladder? Why why God used a ladder? There's something very special about ladders that people don't know about. And that is that in order to get to a higher part of a ladder, you need the lower rungs to keep the ladder together. You know, there's cartoons where the dog's chasing the cat. The cat's running away from the dog and he finds a ladder and the cat just goes shooting up the ladder. But with each step he touches, it falls. And so he gets to the top of the ladder and there's nothing holding the ladder together. And the ladder splits and he falls and the dog goes... And jumps and then he runs away. And, but there's, there's funny cartoon scenes of a ladder that loses its rungs. This is basically, all I'm doing right now is marketing service right now. <laughs> is I'm just going to market it one last plug for service. Is that you need these lower steps to get to the higher steps, otherwise your ladder splits. So it's cute and sweet to be able to jump up to some level that's not your level. You know, if you could jump up, if there was some shortcut to jump up. But the ladder will split. You've got to touch the rungs on your way up and, and secure them. In your, in, in your path, in your spiritual path. You need to secure lower rungs. You can't just jump up. You can't just join the Kabbalah Center, you know, and sit next to Christina Cross and meditate all day, you know, and think you've, like, hit some nirvana or something. You, you, the ladder splits. And you you got to start with bottom-level service at the bottom of the barrel. Boring, but I'm telling you, it's amazing stuff. And, and it really works. Um, just to give one more... <laughs> One more antidote is I, I was, uh, I was, um, I had a nine month moment period of my life after I'd, I'd been observant for a couple of years and I had a nine month time, nine months, six months, nine months, year, can't remember. <sighs> Great. If anyone's a veteran to watch uh, my classes, please, uh, let me know. And also we're developing more and more of the club. Um, and, and anyone listening, please, if you, we, I need someone in accounting who understands Israel and America, whether we're supposed to set this up, the club for the social media stuff, whether we're supposed to set it up in America or, or Israel, my sense is America, but whatever, I need help with that. And obviously social media buffs who would like to get in at the bottom of, uh, grassroots level to be in touch. And I know some of you already were, um, be in touch again because I had to travel and lost the plot. Um, what was I talking about? Nine I had like nine months. So I don't. I don't know if it was a year, six months, or nine months. So let's go with the middle. It was long, where I did not feel a thing. I did not feel prayer. I did not feel blessings. I did not feel tefillin. I did not feel tzitzis. I did not feel any of the mitzvahs, any of the prayers, no shema, no nothing. It's like God just took the entire power of serving him and just like went like this with the circuit breaker. He just went and shut off the lights. And it was pretty hard. I mean, it was very hard. I would say it was probably one of the hardest times of my life was doing Judaism full time. 
and it's really a full-time job, and and not feeling a single thing. I mean, that that was a rough time in my life, for sure. And so what happened was, it must have been like God finally accepted my my service, you know, of like really being in service. But he must have accepted it because I was walking down the street and I run into this chassid who's a neighbor of mine who's an umption of a chassid. And umption of a chassid's chassidim are very spiritual people. They're above time and space, these guys. And they, they literally live above time and space. He's a very spiritual guy. And when you watch him pray, it's like, it's really good to watch him pray, actually. If you're not feeling it, you can actually just take a quick sneak peek and then you, you start connecting more just from having watched him pray. And he's a very beautiful, regal person, noble, regal guy, and an older man, and you know, white pais, perfectly formed, and long white beard, and crystal blue eyes. He's a special guy. Um, anyway, his name's Lichtenstein. He's one of the bigger rabbis at Amshinov. So I run into him, and I said, Rabbi, I'm desperate, like... I have not felt a single thing in, you know, however many months it was. And he says to me, I'm jealous. And I'm like, what do you mean you're jealous? He said, well, I don't know if I would serve God if I wasn't always, like, in outer space when I serve him, you know. I, when I am doing the things I'm doing, I'm always, like, you know, I'm drunk with, with I'm intoxicated by the service. And I can't imagine, like, I mean, you're really a servant of God. Like, you've been going for half a year or more without ever feeling anything. Like, I'm jealous. I don't know if I could do that. And yeah, he must have been stroking my ego in the right way or something. I was so excited. I'm like, hey. Because I was done. I told him, I, I can't do another day. I'm dying, you know. I was dying. And it was really terrible. And so, you know what I did? I went straight to the hotel. And I got to the hotel and I stood in front of the wall. I was a young man. This is, we're going back 25 years plus. And I get in front of the wall and I say to God, I don't, before I began my silent prayer, I said to him, I don't care if I never feel another thing again as long as I live. I will not stop serving you. Period. And I'm telling you, like lightning, I get this like electric charge. Didn't feel it physically, but spiritually felt the connection. And you want to know something interesting? I think five different Marivs took place while I was still in Shemunayasri. Meaning I was in the spot, the corner where most of the minions form. Summertime, night. Five different minions davened that I was still in Shemona yesterday. I went on to have three quarters of an hour every Shemona yesterday for the next couple of years after that. I mean, I was like out there, like way out there in, in ec- ecstatic experience with every prayer, every blessing, every kiddush, every mitzvah. So, so it works. It works. By the way, I was able to shorten my Shemona Esrei. Because <laughs> when, you, when you really go deep into something, it takes a long time. But once you've done it for enough time, it becomes like a zip file. Where you can just click on it and it kind of unzips. 
whatever's there kind of unzips for you on the spot as opposed to having to work through everything. Then I was working through everything. I still work through other stuff, but not those particular files that I worked through then. You only have to work through those kind of things. You know, I mean, you get to higher levels of working it through. Yeah? So it took you like a year, nine months, or whatever it was, to really like basically become resolute in that? Because like you got to this sort of just like purity state. Like when you said that, it was like totally... I had been here much longer than a year and nine months. I was already married with children. That time for... Oh, I had nine months of dry spell. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then it clicked into a wet spell. Yeah, yeah. Since then. Right. That never went away. But, it, like, to get to that total, like, resolution of... of that took <coughs> enough months that I was ready to ram my head into the wall. Yeah. From doing all the doing. I mean, there's a lot to do in Judaism. Yeah. Doing all that without feeling it. Okay, very good. Now, um, the reason why... This is all a long version of why Judaism doesn't talk about other kinds of intoxicants that cause altered states of consciousness. And the reason is is because we, we're busy with other stuff. We're busy with much higher things. Much higher things. Now, using all other stuff as a crutch to raise consciousness... That's an individual question. Everyone would have to ask that question personally. Um, the only general principle I can give you is that teenagers will probably do it irresponsibly. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. Meaning, if, if you were to use something that would take you to a higher spiritual plane that may be very important for you to hit, hit an altered state of consciousness in order to serve God in a different, in a higher level, uh, you know, just to get to that transcendent place if there was a if there's something that you could ingest or do that would take you there I just highly doubt I haven't noticed that teenagers and when I say teenagers that's till like young 20s can do that responsibly I think they would love it so much that they would wind up overusing whatever it is whatever medium they're using I've found them to overdo that and lose their ground in they lose the groundedness. And once you lose your groundedness, well, you didn't get very far anyway because now you're unconsciously going to keep yourself from floating too far off because you're not anchored. So we can go into that one now. Um, I'll go back to losing control in a minute. But just the grounded enough to go higher. Marriage is really important for groundedness. Um, Torah observance, which we call service, really important to go higher. Um, but marriage is, is really, really important there. Um, being a homemaker is, is super grounding. Like It anchors you so you can fly much higher. You'll find in general that the Kabbalistic circles, are o- they're really only amongst married people, uh, for men or women. It's, it's usually only married people. It's almost always married people because uh, there's a certain level of groundedness that that building a home with someone causes you to have, naturally. Just by holding down a home and all that that entails, which is a lot of stuff, is very grounding. And however grounded you are is how high you can fly. So you want more grounding than less grounding. 
And so now bringing that back in with, with young people who are seeking altered states of consciousness, or should we say Devakis with Hashem, is using, all, using any type of medium other than classical Torah mediums is uh, generally going to wind up going towards irresponsibility, less groundedness, and less ability to fly high because you just naturally, you'll cut yourself. You'll clip your wings a bit just to make sure you don't fly too high just for the fear of being out of control, which we'll talk about now. And, and that is that our, to rise up the ladder, as you go up that ladder, the key word to your journey is surrender. Surrender is the key word for spiritual journeys. You've got to surrender yourself. And so obviously getting here, this is super high level here, is, you know, obviously that's totally surrendered. Okay, I'm not asking any of you guys to get to totally surrendered, although we should all be striving to be totally surrendered. But the, uh, you know, we're all working on that level of surrender. Otherwise, the rest of us, what keeps us so tethered down to the earth is that we are scared of being out of control. That is one of the five fears, rejection, failure, out of control is the third, pain and suffering, and uh, the fear of being harmed physically, maimed in some way, or, you know, a bad death of some sort. But the uh, anyway, out of control is number three in popularity in the world, and uh, unless you're from Afghanistan when it's number one. And the, um, anyway, but the fear of being out of control is is in conflict with spiritual journey. It's in conflict with the spiritual path. So all of us who have fear of being out of control, which is all of us, we all have to contend with a certain level of surrender. And and that's that's you know pretty amazing stuff, surrender. And it's, and it's also often in conflict with society. Meaning, meaning you could be part of a very strong community, uh, like what they call orthodox communities. You know, even though if, you know, if you're a student of mine, you know I don't like that term. But you could be part of an orthodox community where, where surrender is looked down upon. <laughs> you know, like you're actually supposed to be whatever the scene is. You know, if it's a fancier five-town scene, surrender's not it. If it's a, you know, a very from 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 scene, you know, surrender is not where it is, you know. But go to any tradition in the world, I promise you, and including Judaism, but you only hear it in the Kabbalah circles. Surrender is your only way up. The ladder is you got to. That's the whole concept of sacrifice is letting go of something. You're we're all sacrificing every day. You, whatever you chose today to do, you sacrifice something else. You know, you're always sacrificing something. You know, you came to my class, I don't know what you sacrificed to be here. But I promise you, as much as you sacrifice, is how powerful the class will be. Besides the content, if you sacrifice something to be in Israel right now, that's the power. You know, I, I as a surfer the, from California, all we do is wait for a weather pattern that comes once, sorry, twice every seven years, which is called El Nino. And it had not been there for five years straight and it hit the year I seemed to win the Asia Torah become observant lottery ticket and and all of a sudden the waves I'd been waiting for for years just like went off the Richter and I 
I missed it. It's very funny that nine years later, God's sense of humor, the year I'm in the rabbinic ordination program where, you know, you can't leave even for a minute. You can't miss a minute of it because you're just, you're going to be tested on every detail. You know, that's an, an completely, uh, what's the word, cumulative, not cumulative. There's a better word for it. You have to know everything. You can't, like, hope they don't ask you something. You have to know it all. And the, um, that uh, I couldn't leave. And it was El Nino. It was the same weather pattern. You want to, some, you want to know something funny? Is when we got our, when we got, when we took the exam for our ordination. So we were going to do many other sections after that. And but what happened the next day? Rabbi Berkowitz, this great tzaddik, you know, probably one of the gedolei ador today, and certainly the gadol ador in English in in Israel. He was the rabbi of the program. He uh, next day he says, "Where's Yomtiv?" And the group said, "He's in California." Because the second I took the exam, I flew. I literally flew the next day. I was in the air. I think I took the exam and went straight to the airport with my wife. And I surfed for three weeks straight in California and like triple overhead waves, like three times the ceiling, you know. And uh, surfed for three weeks. And uh, thank God this winter's been really amazing, by the way. The waves have been every single week they've been up, which is great. And, uh, and now we're locking in Costa Rica. I'm taking my executive, uh, the graduates of the Possible Use Seminar. I have a group of executive men that go to, we do deeper work in an exotic country. So we're off to Costa Rica in February, which is exciting. And please God, get some righteous waves on there. I don't think I'm going to be sleeping much there. Because if I'm leading a group, that means I probably should be surfing while they're asleep. So, okay. Um, it's funny, the last time, guess where I met them? I, I, I went a few days early. I, it was this, we did the Swiss Alps, Davos, Switzerland. And, and so I showed up a few days early and just mountain biked all day long. Like I hired a Swiss guide. That's why I have my cowbell on my handlebar. He made a cowbell just to be cute so the hikers would recognize him flying down the trails. And then, Anyway, so we met in Switzerland, but... <laughs> We misjudged the time. I get a phone call in the middle of a trail saying, we're here. I mean, they were at the lodge that we were staying in, and I'm in the middle of mountain biking. I'm like, I'll be there a little later. I was in the middle of the mountains, nowhere near this lodge. Um, Okay, so that's surrender, is that we got to learn to lose control. And how do do you, what's the how-to to to surrender? How do you you surrender? Um, Faith. Faith in God. He's got you. Now, obviously, we can do stupid stuff, and he's going he's gonna to laugh at you and let you wipe out. But, but as long as you're being somewhat normal with the risks you take, he's got you covered so you can surrender. I mean, God's not going to... He's not going to... If you're on a spiritual path that requires a lot of surrender, he's not going to drop you like a hot potato. He's going he's gonna to take care of you. Now, what that means with your incarnation, because we believe in reincarnation, may mean you're going to feel like you were dropped by, like a hot potato, but he doesn't drop anybody as a, like that. And you could even, there's even a way to understand that people going through hell are doing better than the people who are not going through hell. Because if, you're, if we're only here to get fixed by this lifetime of ours, so the person going through the most fixings is doing the best job. And so we don't know what we go through and why and I know certain people where it's just like 
I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't, you, none of us are creative enough to create that many things going wrong in someone's life. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. For decades, you know, raise your hand if you know someone like that. That, that It's like, it's just uncanny how much can go wrong for one person, you know. And uh, I, so I know a lot of people like that because I'm a rabbi. I get, they all come to me, you know, and, and my job is to comfort them and tell them how they're doing the best job because the rest of us, God's taking it easy on us. They're actually getting, getting their tikkun here. Anyway, we're all getting our tikkun. Um, imagine versus real. Um, that, this is a slippery subject. It's not something we discuss much, imagine versus real, because the, uh, there's several reasons why. Uh, but the most, is, the most important reason why we don't discuss is because it's so subjective. Meaning, if you're in an altered state, nice lady, that's, he's not going to be aware of that. You understand? So you can say, oh, it was my imagination. Maybe. Only, and you may not even know the difference, but it's not much of a discussion we can have because it's so subjective. A, a state of consciousness is always your state of consciousness. And there's no way to really discuss the imagined versus the real. But there are symptoms of real states of consciousness, and one is, uh, one is kindness. You'll come out kinder. One is uh, more loving, uh, it's, um, more giving. I mean, if you've really achieved a state of consciousness that's real, it will reflect in, your, in, your, in kind of new ways of interacting. And so you can sense people who have had higher states of consciousness just in the way they interact with people. And you sense them when they interact with you. And there, there's a softer approach to someone who's had a higher state of consciousness. There's a, a humbled, he's a more humbled individual. And so maybe that's the acid test, but otherwise it's so subjective that it's hard to even discuss. Uh, one thing's for sure, though, is that if someone has imbibed something like alcohol or marijuana or whatever it is and now they're in some state of consciousness that's not that's not imagine that's a real state of consciousness they're in right now and they could prove it to too because of their perception they will have they will have insights that they just don't normally have so if it's someone you're close to you'd be kind of shocked to hear how insightful they suddenly became because they were not that insightful an hour ago and they're extremely insightful now well, that's not imagined, that's real. They've hit a state of consciousness that has lent them to have great insight. Again, this is something that can be easily lost on the young because the young and dumb will, you know, they, instead of starting an engine, have you ever heard a car, what a car sounds like when you restart a started engine? It makes this horrible noise like, some noise like that. Well, you can always count on a young person to keep restarting the started engine. You know, well, that was fun. Let's do it again. You know, I mean, what does your kid say when he gets off a roller coaster ride? Again! You know, so young people just don't know how to respect altered states of consciousness. So, so they're, they're just going to go in again. And, and, uh, and it will soon become less insight and more brain fry, you know, over the time. So... Not, not the way for the spiritual journey, someone on a spiritual journey. I just want to mention that older people, people who are more mature, will, in the Jewish world, will often not be found doing that either. 
Why? Because an older person is plugged into Torah. And they're, they're in deep, deep, deep Torah. They're going in. You know, and they've been in, and they and they got tools how to study the stuff, and and they've got they're really like this kind of because their hand is holding a rabbi's hand because they're when you after a while in Torah you have mentors and they're pulling you and you're pulling someone else and we're all just like that you know and and so and so you're 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 ascending when you're deep and committed in Torah you're ascending all the time so you're less likely going to find B'nai Terah involved in that. So, who's it left for? I don't know. Someone at a campfire has had a little too much to drink, maybe. I don't know who these altered states of consciousness are left for. Um, I don't know. I I know people who are are occasional altered states of consciousness users, meaning they do use substances. Um, they usually use them for insight, as we said before, because we're all full of blind spots, and and they'll they'll maybe want to think about their marriage a little bit, or they might want to think about how to deal with one of their children a little bit if they got a kid who's you know at risk, and they they want to just uh, they see that they do not have the right approach, and no rabbi's been able to give them the fresh eyes that's gonna that's causing their kid to to come back to them. So that person might might benefit from it all from using something that alters the state of consciousness that gives them the insights into their child. Maybe they can <coughs> come back come back down to earth from that with a softer approach that that's more in tune with their child or something like that. These kinds of things. And I, I have heard they're very good for couples, meaning uh, for the couple themselves, especially a couple that's never really felt united properly. Um, it, either it was an arranged marriage that never quite clicked. Most of those arranged marriages click really nicely, but there are arranged marriages that never quite click. And then there's arranged marriages where the truth wasn't told. <laughs> those really don't click. You know, that's like eating bread on Pesach. You know, the foundations of the Jewish people, the reason we eat matzah, because it's just flour and water. It's like the ultimate stripped down version of food. It's truth. You know, a big fluffy challah is not true because if you sit on it, it comes out matzah. Yeah, the, 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 it's truth bread for foundations. But couples that were not told the truth, the families lied about what's really going on there. And then a union was made in the air because the marriage didn't start on the earth. And so what those couples find is that they never quite connect. But an altered state consciousness journey as a couple, has, uh, as many people have had uh, great, great results because they go up these states of consciousness as a couple and then unite there. And there's also a lot of truth, a lot of tears, a lot of intensity, and you know, a lot going on there. And they, uh, they, they come back to their family, to their kids, back to their home in Brooklyn or wherever they live. And, uh, but they're now married. And so they, they, people do use use these kinds of altered state retreats um, for, for marriage therapy. Um, I wish I could send them on it, but it's too uh, controversial as a rabbi. But I've heard just incredible find, uh, incredible stories of couples that you literally could write them off as they're either going to get divorced or they're going to live parallel lives the rest of their lives because there's nothing to work with. I have gone on these journeys together, which is usually two nights, three days, 
Uh, meaning they take a place in the mountains for two nights, not where they're going to see anybody, and there's no seeing anybody. It's just them. They're going back to the Garden of Eden. So that's an important thing. Uh, magic versus real. Uh, I, I think we're out of time, so we'll see if we continue with Altered States of Consciousness tomorrow. Shalom, everybody. Have a beautiful, beautiful day. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.